This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Sunday Showcase. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. And welcome, one and all, to the Sonic Society, the world's largest showcase of modern audio drama. I'm one host, Jack Ward, and the other is, of course, David Alt. Yes, good morning, Jack, and everyone. We've got another packed show this week with the conclusion of The Mask of Inanna, written by Alicia E. Goranson and produced by Neil Marsh. Be sure to check out the full series coming soon on Wednesday Wonders with host Lothar Tuppen. We know a Lothar Tuppen, don't we, Jack? We do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and finally, the second episode of Red Hawk Radio's Kiss of the Dragon's Curse to close this week's show. And it all begins right here on the Sonic Society. I'll take a peek upstairs. Ah, my surprise. My records. My old reels. All my things. Hmm. Only one box of the After Dark discs. Oh, look at that. A vintage Betty Page pinup book. To Dr. Krask. Oh, David, you've got yourself some taste. Quartz among granite. Fresh among salt. Uh, what? Eye between teeth. Lock between keys. David, are you back? Wood among frost. Leaf upon river. Uh, hello? Len, 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 they'll say. And a storm will rise to blow you away. I'd run. Come and see. Where are you? Cat, what are you doing? Stop walking through the walls. You should be outside. See? 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 So pretty. Olive at the press. The stairs shouldn't be this long. Is this floor supposed to be here? 
Beyond the storm, the protector turns traitor through beastly lies. Diamonds crushed because they cannot run. Hello? Oh, there's a sloth in my kitchen. The sloth is not important. This one's the closet. This one's the sauna. This one's the garden. I'll have to trim all the lilies. David said the tools are in the shed. And this door. It's dark. No idea where it goes. The cellar? Oh, you want me to go to the cellar? You're a stout little fellow. Yes, you are. You're a, a Mr. Orson. That's who you are, aren't you? I'm going to call you Little Orson, Mr. Tabby. And if you're Mr. Orson, you'll be Mr. Obler, Mr. Siamese. Won't you? Won't you be Mr. Obler? Obler? Orson? Oh, 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 what time is it, Mr. Obler? This calendar doesn't have months, just days and moons. So many moons. Circle, 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 circle. Dark, dark, darker, darkest. This will be a special day, won't it, Mr. Orson? Bright ones, then dark. You dance with death. You name it even now. Isn't there supposed to be a cellar around here? Is that the dark door? You've already seen the way. Who's that? Oh, that's the front door, not the sauna or the lilies. Or the cellar door. I won't run. I'll face it. I can face anything. I don't have nightmares anymore because I always face the monster. This is no monster! First comes the storm. Then taunting, fickle, death. And then the goddess. But there will be nothing of you in her to face. When she is done, you will be a candle. It's wick forever consuming itself. Until you cease to be more than scream! Oh my god! Miss! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The Miss! Get back here! Come here! Damn it, I can't stand up! What do you want me to do? Get me off the floor. Okay. Put your arm over my shoulder and heave! Get me to a chair. There's one in the kitchen. Okay. And down. That's better. Careful. The tabby's brushing up against you. Oh, little Orson. I thought you were a wildcat. You named them. Just now. Orson and Mr. Obler. I try not to name cats. They don't name themselves. Are you the one who's been feeding them? No. They won't take any food from me. I'm really sorry I startled you there. I come here a lot. No one's ever been here before when I'm here. And you are? I'm Sarah. 
but everyone calls me Scotty. Because I'm handy or something. Long story. Once upon a mattress. What? Oh, a girl named Fred. <laughs> Never mind. Sorry I panicked. Were you just talking to me about a candle? No. Somebody said that before you broke in. You did try to break in, didn't you? Yeah, that's how I normally get in. I didn't see a car. <laughs> it's fine. Do you know if anybody else comes here? Not that I've seen. The cats, they don't talk, do they? I wish. Have you ever been to the cellar? No. I go up to the lights so I can watch the waves. Mr. Lewis has given me a job watching this place. Does he know you come here? Like I care. I come here all the time, ever since my dad moved here. Since I was like 12 or so. This is a home away from home for you. I guess. So, you aren't in college? This fall. I got into Holyoke. I can't wait. Congratulations. Thanks. I was about to check out the cellar. Are you interested? Uh, okay. How do you know, Mr. Lewis? He's the pastor at church. He's weird, but so's everybody. He said this door leads to the cellar, and... He's made a liar out of me. How do you like that? None of them fit. Oh, let me call him. Hang on. You want to try? Wait. Are those lock-picking tools? Yeah. Where did you get those? My dad. Does he know you have them? No. He's with Tier 4. Come on. You have to know about Tier 4. No idea. The best private tech support ever? Expensive as hell. My dad's always been into deconstructing things, like lamps, my dolls, my iPod. He's kind of obsessive like that. So, this is payback. We're in. Thank you kindly. Uh, let me go in first. I'm going to have to clean it. I don't want you getting hurt. That doesn't look like the cellar. Nope. Is this the rec room? What are all these books? Hmm. Log books. See the dates on the spines. Yeah. <laughs> Dusty. They stop in the 60s. Is that a shortwave set? Right. And that's a maritime radio. And that's a reel-to-reel -reel tape deck. But see this. Look, there's no dust on the tape deck. Touch it. That's weird. Someone's been in here. Look, the set, the radio, and the books, they were abandoned here. But somebody brought this deck in. Don't ask me. There isn't anyone else to ask. Go on, look at it. That's a big microphone. Can I have it? No. I could have sworn he said this door was for the cellar. Isn't that the boiler room? You can get there from the stairs. It's not locked that well. I'm going to have to watch you, aren't I? Look, the boiler room's not as big as the house. There could be something behind the wall, but I've been wailing on it, and it sounds like dirt back there. Hey, what's this? What? Looks like a cross between a sewing machine and a phonograph. <sighs> oh, look at that! It's a presto! It's a fryer No, it's a record printer. It's in amazing condition. Oh, plugged into the wall back there. 
Probably goes into those speakers. And, and it's not covered in dust either. This used to be state of the art. Every radio studio had one. A lot of the shows I did ended up on discs that came out of this thing. You want something to do? Go up to my bedroom and get all my boxes of records and tapes and bring them down here. Okay. One box at a time. Where do you want the first box? On the table's fine. What's after dark? Uh, wait a moment. I just have to turn on the presto and swing the record arm out and the play arm in and place the needle just right and start. Friends, guests, you've come a long way. Put your feet up by the fire. Have a bit of brandy. I'll show you to your rooms. If anything knocks before the sun rises, well, keep the doors locked just in case. You've arrived at the domain of Dr. Damien Krask, and you are not alone. Now, who's that? Who? On the disc. I don't know. Dean Martin? No, that's me. You? Yes. Come on. You've arrived in the lair of Dr. Damien Krask. I don't know about you, but after tonight's tale, I wouldn't be caught dead out after dark. Uh-huh. That's what you used to do? Well, it's the only time I was a feature on a program. Don't make that face at me. Audio wasn't so good back then like you have it now. We had to hem it up to get heard. Have you ever listened to AM? Once, for a history project. It's like acting through a sewer grate. And you wonder why radio shows had trouble switching to television? Radio makes you look the doggone fool. The studio I recorded these in had one microphone, and we all had to shout in it so everyone would hear our lines. <laughs> you laugh. If the listener missed a key word, forget it. They'd have no idea what we were talking about for the next half hour. Every word was gold. And I had to hunch over the mic because our announcer was a little guy and he wouldn't stand on a box. And when you talk on the radio, you're pretending like you have an egg in your throat and a baseball in your mouth. Your eyes are working your voice like your lungs are, so they're bulging out left and right. And whatever side of the mic you're on, that's your team. It was me and Matt against Bob and Isabel. We're looking at them, and we're not going to mess up first. And they're looking at us, they aren't going to mess up first. We're making faces and hand gestures. Maybe obscene ones if it's a bad night, but we're all professionals. That's why we sounded like we did. Can I hear some more of your show? Certainly not. Come on! You don't listen to a radio show in some stranger's house. Is there another house I'm supposed to listen to it in? This is a horror show. Do you watch horror movies in the afternoon with the windows open? Depends when they finish downloading. Scotty. You know what I mean. I have to listen to it at night with the lights out. On the couch, or on the floor, or in your bed. And you can't be alone. Now you're talking crazy. You must be with your family. Or your sweetheart. Uh, people you can look in the eye and think, No, he didn't do that just now, did he? 
because the mystery is meant to grip all of you at once, and you have to listen to it on a radio as large as a human head. It's a storyteller and a member of your family. You can look away, but it's still there. The volume and frequency dials are its eyes. It should be higher than you, uh, on a shelf. It has to look down on you. Okay, voice of God, got it. I'm not done. You have to sit in the right position when you hear it. As a young person, without a bow, I'm assuming. Can't see him anymore. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. You can ask Mr. Lewis about that sometime. Maybe I will. Anyhow, you need to lie on your chest. You hold your head up with your elbows, with your feet dangling behind you. Or you sit Indian style with your hands folded. Do I recite prayers from the Bhagavad Gita while I'm at it? No, stay silent until the show's over. This is like the Japanese tea ceremony. Exactly. So you're not going to play your show for me? I'll let you borrow the equipment some night. Is there anything we can hear? Oh, goodness, yes. I'll put on a record while you go get the next box. On it. (laughs) Voice of God. This is one of my favorites. I got a chance to see them play in Los Angeles. It's getting late. I really should go home. Huh? Get going. I'm glad I could meet you, Scotty. Thanks. You too. I'm wondering, do you have a job? Not really. Do you want to come by some afternoon, help me out with this place? I can't pay much, but it's under the table. Um, sure. I mean, I'd have to ask my dad, but... He knows Mr. Lewis, and Mr. Lewis knows you. Either way, I don't mind. The offer stands. Tax-free, minimum wage, plus a few bucks. Minimum plus five. Plus three. Deal. You drive a hard bargain. Thanks, Mr. Allen. Tell your dad I was Krask. Dr. Damien Krask. Mr. Lewis said your town had some fans in it. I'll mention it. That's good. That's really good. You have a good night. You too, Mr. Allen. I'll call you as soon as I know. Ah, heck, who is that? Mr. Allen, listen to my radio. Uh, how? Put these in your ears. Uh, they're tiny. This should be WBCN. See, I'm changing the channels. Your music is playing on every one. <laughs> Would you get a load of that? Do you know what's causing this? No idea. I can't think of anything that could cause that much interference. Unless it was feeding in a broadcast tower somehow. Come on, let's see how far it goes from the lighthouse. The signal's still clear. I mean, it has scratches and everything. I believe you. (sighs) Yes. Mr. Lewis said he had reconfigured that tower for good instead of evil. He did what with the what? He said there were a lot of people who liked After Dark in this town. I bet he was going to tell me about this tomorrow. And that's why he bought all my recordings. Okay. I'll tell you what. Go home, have your supper. Tonight, at 8 o'clock, 
Bring your family to your living room. That would be my dad.、Uh, whatever. Tell him it's a surprise. Then turn on your radio. Make sure it's up high. I'll put it on top of the home theater. Or a china hutch if you have one. Which we don't. And remember to get in position. That may freak my dad out. We don't do much together. Wonder why. Well, just do it this once, and you won't have to do it again. What position should Dad be in? If he used to listen to the radio, he'll know. You're sure? I am. Good night, Scotty. Night. Be safe. You're out awfully late tonight. It really isn't safe, you know. You should be at home, sitting by the fire, having a drink and relaxing, listening to your radio. That's good. You're running, running for home, but it's too late. Too late to run for home now because you've been caught out. I, Doctor Damien Krask, have returned to the airwaves to continue my public service to warn you of what lies beyond. You may want to take care before stepping out tonight. Dab a little garlic behind your ears. Wear that pretty cross that your mother gave you. Load a silver bullet in your gun. But before we let you back into my world, let's have a word from an old friend. Hey, Billy. Slow down there. Sorry, Mister. I mean, sorry, Mister. Billy, are you eating that sandwich while you're running? I can't miss the big game, Mister. Coach is going to put me up to bat first. Well, I'm sure you'll do fine, especially if that's your mother's homemade bread in that sandwich. You betcha, Mister. She uses Winsley wheat. Ah,、uh, yes, that fresh from the oven aroma, made with Winsley's patented process that locks in that farmland flavor. And it gives a growing boy like you all the energy you'll need for the big game. There's so much pep and vigor in Winsley wheat. My own mother wishes she'd had it for her bread when I was a boy. I love it. Well, I gotta run. I'm gonna knock one out of the park. That's a sure bet, Billy. It always is with Winsley wheat. What a treat! Get your boy or girl a beat. God, they didn't pay us enough to do that. Anyhow, tonight's episode is a favorite of mine. It was the last one to be broadcast, actually, so it's fitting that I use it to announce my triumphant return. It is a foul tale of deceit and mayhem that I'm calling "By the Brake Lights Red Glare." Abe Evans is a slick guy. He can sell water to a fish or a baby its own diapers. So he went on to car sales. That's where all the slick guys were going. With a little razzmatazz, he's selling well enough to keep himself and his wife in a good home, and he contributes to his town's prosperity as well. That is until recently. Abe hasn't sold a car in over a year. Why, here he is now, stepping behind a young woman admiring the new Tercel Coupe. See anything you like? This here's a beauty. Last year's model, but drives as well as this year's, and hundreds off the price to boot. 
It is a lovely car, and the price, well, it is a good price. But my husband, see, he's worried. We read that article in the papers about that starlet who was killed in a tersel coop. I believe your company had given it to her, and, well, I heard it was pretty banged up after the accident. Banged up in places that a normal car, a better-made car, wouldn't have been. No, I wouldn't put that much stock in those papers. The company said they're a prototype, but these models on the lot are all thoroughly tested and sound. You have my guarantee on that. I trust you, sir. My family's always bought your cars, but frankly, my husband's read the popular mechanics articles, and your cars just don't seem to hold up this year. I was hoping you could tell me otherwise. Well, uh, those articles are... Well, they're, uh... Good day, ma'am. Good day. Abe is a remnant of the old days, when the man's word was as good as his bond. He can't handle today's educated consumer. He also can't wait for next year's popular mechanics reports to come out. Hopefully, they'll be better. Charlie, you gotta let me stay on another month. I can make a sale. I almost had that couple last week. They did buy from us, you know. Yes, but not from you. Can't carry dead weight, Abe. Please, Charlie. I kept you going in the 30s when no one would buy from you. You're a good salesman, but I don't think you know enough about the cars anymore. You can't even out-talk a piece of paper. Here. Take the Tersel Coupe on the showroom floor home. Get a good feel for it. You've been driving that old clunker for too long. Why, <laughs> thank you, Charlie. You'll bring her back a changed man. Like when I was in the service, I never trusted the machine until it was in my hands in the field. Abe isn't too impressed by the Tersel Coupe, though. Sure, it turns swank and the seats are plush, but it's too low to the road. The springs are fresh, so he can't feel the car handling the ground. He isn't going home, though. With all the new apartments built recently, Abe got himself a sweet young thing on the side. His doting wife is as wonderful as a fine-aged wine, but the new girl, Margaret, is as fresh as a glass of squeezed oranges first thing in the morning. Surely a man is more satisfied when he can partake of both than being restricted to one or the other. He sees Margaret three nights a week, but when he tells his wife, he's helping Charlie with the bookkeeping. Hi, Margaret. Abe, I didn't hear you pull in. I wasn't in my usual car. I'm trying out that new tersel coupe for work. Let me see. Oh, Abe, it's gorgeous. You like it, huh? I can't move one of them, but the guys half my age can. Come on in. Let me get you a tonic. Thanks, sugar. Oh, I wish I could push those out the door like I used to. It's the company's fault. They gave a badly built prototype to a starlet, and I have to take up the blame. You make the best drinks. I like watching you mix drinks, sugar. You'll get another chance, sweetie. I had one just before you arrived, but I'm going to make myself another. Oh, uh, there's one thing I wanted to ask you about. I need another couple hundred. Abe. It's just to cover a few more expenses. I'm dipping into my savings just as hard as you. Your wife knows you're not selling, right? She knows, sugar. She doesn't ask about the late nights I spend with Charlie anymore. I can't keep doing this for you. You'll get it back, sugar. I talked to my lawyer today. Switched the beneficiary of my life insurance from my wife to you. I have the papers here. You'll get your money no matter what happens to me. I'll think about it. Wait here. Let me slip into something more. Accessible. Abe's never been good at waiting. 
That's why he's a great salesman. He wants what he wants now, but he wants it fair. He finishes his drink, savoring without letting it linger. Margaret takes a little longer than usual behind her bedroom door. But when she comes out, Abe knows exactly why he comes over here. You're a swell girl, sugar. You're too kind. I'll try to get that money myself before then. Don't work too hard. I kind of like having you in my back pocket. It's late, and Abe starts his car to head home. His wife will be there, asleep. The remnants of a pot roast warm in the oven. He knows these roads well enough to drive with his eyes closed. The weather forecast called for rain this evening, but it's over now. The sky is still dark from clouds. As he drives up the hillside, he looks down at all the homes and streets which weren't there a few years back. My, how this little town has grown. Then, as he comes over the hill, he feels the back wheels begin to slip from the fresh rainfall. No! He hits the brakes again and again, pushing his weight against the pedal, but nothing happens. The car careens ahead. His brake lights flash from behind, warning anyone to his plight by their demonic red glare. And there, ahead of him, the road curves to the left, but at this speed, how can he take it? Below him, so many homes, and each one a target should his vehicle plummet over the edge, which comes closer, closer. And Abe, a man trained in selling this car, but who knows so little about it. How can he save himself, his wife, his mistress, and his job? Find out when we return with a stunning conclusion to my tale of terror by the brake light's red glare. The Mask of Inanna, Episode 1, Pilot Pilot Burning Bright, was written and directed by Alicia E. Goranson for the post-Meridian radio players. The modern-day cast featured Andrew Lebrun as Leonard Allen, Nellie Farrington as Scotty Harper, and Doug Miller as David Lewis, with Michael McAfee as the intercom voice, Lori Brackett as the nurse, Jenny Gutbazal as the voice of the mouse, and Heidi Clark as the introducer. The 1950s and After Dark casts included Andrew Lebrun as Leonard Allen, Dr. Damian Krask, and Abe Evans, James Scheffler as Bob Stroud and Charlie, Marley Norton as Isabel Huddleston and Margaret, and Mike Babish as Matt Lerner, with Neil Marsh as Edward Winsley and the narrator, Lori Brackett as the customer, Sarah and Billy, Paul Dworkin as the police officer, and Emma Lathan and Lisa Sturgeon as the Winsley Wheat Singers. Studio recording and post-production for The Mask of Inanna was performed by Alicia E. Goranson and Neil Marsh, with production assistance from Michael McAfee, Paul Dworkin, Emma Lathan, and Lisa Sturgeon. Original music was composed and rendered by Neil Marsh, and the After Dark theme was composed by Sir Arthur Sullivan. The jazz interstitial music was by Count Basie and Lil Armstrong, and is available in the public domain. The producer and series developer is Alicia E. Goranson. The creator of The Mask of Inanna and executive producer for the post-Meridian radio players is Neil Marsh. For more information, please visit our website at www.maskofinana.com. This has been a Hub of the Universe production. I doubt you'll find a good vein on him, so you'll want to inject him at the top of his arm, near the shoulder. You won't wake him. His body will be adjusting to the doses I already gave him, but if he sleeps more than 36 hours, he might not wake up. Right. Under the skin, squeeze, cotton ball, withdraw. Can I leave the island if I do it? No. 
But I'm sure your brother will appreciate what you're doing when he finds out. Agreed? Fine. episode of Kiss of the Dragon's Curse, malevolent knights attack the river community of dragons unprovoked. Claris gathers a ragtag band of young dragons to avenge the community, but ominously hints that the attack might not go according to plan. Stay tuned for part two of Kiss of the Dragon's Curse. of battles and wars, you picture violence, bloodshed, and most of all, glory. The sweet, sweet satisfaction of the right side winning, the final blow of the sword or flaming conflagration, the end. Unfortunately, that isn't where a war starts. It starts with many, many boring conversations. I officially call this strategy meeting to order. If you are here, please proclaim, Inan. Damiel, what are you doing? I'm taking roll, obviously. We're all here. There's only four of us. You can look around and see that. <clears throat> I'm trying to bring some order to this. Without order, we'll just go barreling into the knight's territory and get ourselves killed. Because we didn't take roll. As a young dragon, you just don't understand the importance of procedure. Damiel. What? Let Claris lead, please. I still think proper order is necessary. For me? Of course. Anything for you. Claris, please continue the meeting. Thank you for handing my own meeting back to me. Of course. She was being sarcastic, dummy old. Now, there's no need for name-calling. Boys, boys, you're both smart. Let's move on. <laughs> and thank you, Trisla. I think the first order of business is learning more about the knights, and for that, I think you should take the lead. Well, sure, if that's what you think is best. Should I start with their habits? That sounds great. The knights live and work in this giant man-made stone cave they call a castle or a fortress. They answer to one human known as a king. So if we kill the king, the knights will stop killing us? Unfortunately not, for two reasons. The first is that the knights travel, and when they do, they don't have to listen to their king. They're free to make their own choices. But maybe, if the king was gone, they wouldn't travel. When one king dies, another takes over. He's their elder. So, killing the king is not a viable option. No, it's not. But if we kill the knights, won't the king just make more? Appoint more? Train more? How do they become knights, actually? An older knight trains hopeful knights, and then they go on a journey or something. 
But sometimes knights are just humans with a lot of gold. I don't know. It's confusing. So if we kill the trainer and all the knights, there'd be no one left to train them? In theory, yes. Okay, okay. Go back to talking about the human's roost. What's it like? There's a thick wall on the outside. And on the inside, there's a huge open surface where humans give each other fruits and vegetables and animals they've hunted. They give each other their kills? Yes, but they give each other gold in exchange. For their hoard? No. They give the gold to someone else for something else they want. They don't want to keep the gold either? Humans aren't very smart. So the entire inside of this cave is open and the humans live inside it? No. Inside the cave, there's smaller caves and one big cave in the very center. That's where the king lives. And the knights? They take turns living in the big cave with the king and living in the little caves around the outside, the big space, but inside the walls. Okay, so we'll have to hit two places. What do they fight with? They don't have sharp teeth or claws. Well, we all know about archers. Those are the ones who try to hit us with arrows while we're flying. Exactly. They have two other main weapons. The first I like to call a flinger. They place a metal stone in it, ratchet it back, and launch it into the air. This can take down a full-grown dragon. Like me. He's barely bigger than me. Acts like he's all high and mighty now that he's reached his majority. The other is called a sword. It's a stick made out of sharpened metal that the knights can use to cut or impale. The one good thing about this weapon is that they have to be within arm's reach of you to use it. So you can use your claws or flame them. So we want to get close then. Force them to use this weapon. Well, when you get close, you you lose your maneuverability. I recommend we try to avoid being discovered. Then how do we kill the knights? We don't. Killing is what the knights would do. Instead, I say we relocate the knights and the king and the king's family to different places far away from each other. They won't be able to regroup, and the other humans are no longer dangerous to us. Isn't that a little naive? They could come back. Killing them is more permanent. I won't be part of a plan that involves killing. If that's what you wish for, death over peace, then I ask to be released from this group. That won't be necessary. Will it, Clarice? We don't need to kill. I support Trisla. Well then, I'm outvoted. This is now a relocation exercise. Our goal is to move them without spilling any blood. How are we going to transport them? Aren't humans kind of, uh, wiggly? We steal one of the egg carriers. But they need those to transport the eggs. We can't put the nursery at risk. I've been given the great honor of being placed on the egg carrier creation team. It won't really be like stealing one, more like making an extra, which will mysteriously disappear. But then aren't you spending your time on that instead of your job? That's so detrimental. We're trying to save everyone. But we can't destroy the backup plan. And, of course, it led to the inevitable devolution of the entire meeting. Predictably. But, by the end, we did have a plan. Every group has a wild card. The one just narcissistic enough to pull off audacious crimes with absolutely no guilt. For us, that was Daniel. How are preparations coming to leave? Scouts? We have found several new locations we believe would be suitable for a new nest. 
Of course, you may make the final decision, Mother Elder. Excellent. And food supply along the way? Somewhat sparse, but doable. Perfect. Nursery? All the hatchlings are prepared to fly, except for the youngest, who will be flown with the eggs. Perfect. And egg transport. We had a hitch on one of the carriers. It didn't pass a safety test. I'll have to make another. Are you positive? If you have to make another, we'll have to delay travel by day. Positive. Let me inspect this carrier myself. Mother Elder, I am very hurt right now. I take this responsibility very seriously as a mature dragon, and the insinuation that I am inept at my job fills me with sorrow. Very well. I have other inspections to make anyway. Wing leaders? We smuggled out the carrier, our hearts in our chest, jumping at every shadow, except for the one shadow we should have noticed. A little dragon with no home or place to be. A dragon with a vendetta. It's almost dark. We need to leave tonight so that we're already gone before the big move tomorrow. How are we going to find everyone when we come to take them back? I got one of the scouts to tell me ahead of time the places that Mother Elder is considering. He's sweet on me. He's what? He likes me. And do, do, do you like him? He's a large, commanding dragon. I could do worse. You could do better, too. Like you? <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say, Damiel? What? No, no. I'm just saying that, um, you seem to be judging him on looks. Mm-hmm. What? What's that supposed to mean? Awkward! Ahem. We have the egg carrier, so we just need to wait for night. Wait for night for what? Wow, Suna, I did not see you there. Convenient, isn't it? Since you seem to be talking about some secret plan. You really misunderstood us. Did I? Well, what were you talking about then? Um, we're trying to take one last trip to our favorite waterfall before we leave for good. And the egg carrier? For riding down the street, man? Couldn't you at least come up with a more believable lie than this? You're going to attack the knights, aren't you? We're not attacking the knights. We'd be just as bad as them if we did. But you have an egg carrier. You're grabbing them and taking them somewhere? Wow, she's quick. Let me help. I need to do something. I'm going crazy here. I need to hurt the knights like they hurt me. You're the last dragon from the river community. We can't let you. It's too dangerous. You won't stop me. I just did. I'm not letting you come. No, you won't. Because if you do, I'm telling Mother Elder your whole plan. And then you won't get to go at all. That's blackmail. Wow, he's quick. This isn't a very mature way for you to act, Suna. Isn't it? Why don't you watch your whole family get murdered and then get back to me about how mature you act? You could get hurt or killed. I have nothing left to lose. Nothing. I have no family, no friends, no honor. This is all I have left. Let her come. What? Why should I do that? Because if the situations were reversed and you lost everything, you would rain fire down on the knights. And if you don't let her come, she will. Is that wise? She's unpredictable. Keep her close where we can keep an eye on her. Trisla makes a passionate argument in favor of letting you join. As I trust her judgment, you can come. But you are not in charge. You will listen to every instruction we give, and you will not deviate from them, or Enin will fly you directly back to our community. Do you agree? Yes, I agree. Okay, then. 
Back to the plan. Jamiel, you'll be carrying the egg basket since you're the strongest of us. Barely. But still the strongest. Annan, you'll be on guard duty. Your job is to circle the city watching for signs of trouble and flying to warn us if you see any. Well, I am the fastest flyer. Exactly. Trisla, Suna, and I will be on plucking duty. Our job is to grab the knights and the king and his family and place them in Daniel's basket. And you mentioned an invisibility potion. We only have enough ingredients to cover all of us once. The potion will last for two hours, so we have to wait until we get there to brew it. Can you get the materials for more? No. One of the ingredients is a moonflower. It only blooms under a full moon, which obviously isn't tonight. It's close. Not close enough. And anyway, we don't have time to gather anything. We need to leave now so that no one will notice we're missing. So we're going then. Right now. Are you nervous? No, of course not. How cute. Talking about our feelings. Come on, let's go. This is a very caustic work environment, and I don't appreciate it. Suna, take it down a notch, please. Okay, everyone. Time to go. It was a calm night, a hint of a breeze. The waxing gibbous nearly filled the sky. Almost a full moon, full of promise. We joked and laughed during the flight, but there was a tension, an awareness. Something could go terribly wrong. But I'd always look at the moon and feel a sense of peace. I don't know why. I can see the castle. It's about 5,000 paces away. There's a forest right outside its walls. We should land there to make the potion and prepare. Good idea, Trisla. Everyone head for the center of the forest. Annan? The chalice of ingredients? A moonflower clipped under full moon. A gold nugget plucked from a running stream. A scale from one young, a scale from one old. And a precious treasure, its worth untold. Thank you. Cloak of night, hide our face, in dark or light or in between. Let none perceive our shape or form, and thus obscure our mean. Please pass the chalice and pour enough to cover yourself, but no more. We need to leave enough to cover the egg carrier. It might be a bit late to ask this, but how do we see each other? We don't. We'll be relying on smell. Humans have horrible noses, so they won't be able to smell us coming. Okay, okay. This plan sounds like it could work. I'm not nervous. Not at all. Totally fine. It'll be okay. No need to be nervous. I just said I wasn't nervous. Are they always like this? Usually. Okay, that should be all of us. Can anyone see anyone else? No, no I no. can't. Uh, no? Oh, damn. that's really that's cool. Yeah. Very clear. Yeah. Okay, then. Time to fly in. I see the barracks. The barracks? The place where the knights live. Okay, and in time for you to peel off, circle the perimeter, and come get us if there's trouble. Proclaim if there isn't enough time. Got it, sis. What's the best way to do this? They're all inside that thing. We rip off the roof. What? We can't just rip off the roof? No, think about it. If we do, we can grab them all at once. The only other option is to flame them out, which could injure someone or wake the whole town. I agree with Damiel. This is the best plan. And there's three of us on pickup duty, so we can catch any of the runners. You really think it's a good idea? Of course. You have a lot of good ideas. That's really sweet of you. Okay, Damiel, go ahead and put the basket down and rip off the roof. Suna, help him do it. Trisla and I will be ready to catch all the knights until you two can put down the roof. On the count of three, one, two, three. 
Oh no! I forgot to take into account how loud humans are when they're afraid. They're escaping out the door! Hurry, pick them up before they alert the whole town! Got one! In the basket! Nasty little buggers. Can't even die with dignity. They aren't dying, Suna! No, of course not. How silly of me. Do you trust her? Not at all. But I don't have time to deal with her. Got one! In the basket! I got one! He can't get away from me. Foul demon! I'll get you for this! You will be exercised! Suna, that one's bleeding. Whoops! Must have gripped him too tight. Oh well. Suna the sadist. This is inefficient. Trisla, you guard that doorway so that Suna and I can start plucking from the inside. On it. Gotcha! Ugh, stop wiggling! The end of the world is nigh, nigh, I tell you! One is escaping through a hole in the building side. Trisla? Oh yeah, the window. I see him. On. How many do you have left? The town is starting to get restless. I think they've heard the screams. Just a cloth. We'll be out of here and onto the castle in a jiffy. How are you holding up, Daniel? They're rocking the basket back and forth, trying to get out, and, and keep stabbing at my claws, but I've got it under control. I got the last one. We can go to the castle now. We can't remove the roof from the castle. It's, it's different from the one in the barracks. The ground! The ground is gone! Ugh! They're so whiny! So what do you suggest? We flame them out. The potion's pretty much gone, and the town already suspect, suspects we're here. The stone itself won't catch, but there's plenty of flammable things inside. What happened to the ridiculous no-violence policy? No one will get hurt. We'll open all the doors first. Okay, then. That's what we'll go with. Enin, can you start opening doors? On it! They don't deserve to live. They all deserve to die. But they're innocent humans in there. It's not just the knights and the royal family. I'm trying to get the doors open, but now there's humans in the way. Why are they running already? I don't care. They'd all kill us if they could. Ah, it's a dragon. We've been captured by dragons, not demons. And the potion just wore off. Great. Suna, you just ruined our whole plan. And in, you got those doors yet? I can't! There's too many humans! Okay, leave it. You're escorting Suna to our community. No, he's not! How dare you flame me! You can't see what's best. You're sheltered, naive. I can. They all have to die. All of them. Stand down! Who's going to stop me? Little old you? Stand down! No! said, stand down, or I will fight you, and you will lose. It's four against one, Suna. You can't win. I'm coming back. You can't stop me. I will hunt down every single one of these humans and kill them if I have to fly to the ends of the earth. Keep a close eye on her. I don't trust her. Of course. Will you meet us at the community? Elders willing. May they be with you always. I see more knights, and they're surrounding the king. I'll start picking them off. Attack the fall beasts! Slay them where they fall! They aren't catching fire. Why aren't they catching on fire? The metal wouldn't, but their other coverings should. I don't know why. Attack with your claws. But remember, the goal is retrieval. Throw beast to a metal time! Damiel, no! No! It was a moment where nothing seemed real, and everything slowed. No one had seen how the knight had gotten out of the basket. No one knew how he managed to gain his bearings and draw a sword so quickly. 
Until the end of my days, I will never know how Trisla moves so fast, nor what gave her the courage to do so. Trisla, no, why would you save me? Of course I'd die for the dragon I loved, silly. You, 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 you love me? I love you so. No, 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 you will pay. You will all pay. That isn't what she would have wanted. She wanted peace. I cursed you. I curse you all. Daniel, stop. In darkest night, fire will rain. In brightest day, the sun will burn. So hot, the land will turn to dust. None shall eat. The land will be abandoned. Yet pestilence will follow you all the days of your lives, no matter where you wander. Thus, I curse you. production of Red Hawk Radio Theater, recorded on the campus of Southeast Missouri State University in KRCU Public Radio Studios. Kiss of the Dragon's Curse was written by Gabrielle Freitas, who starred as Claris. Mother Elder is played by Shelby Dixon. Trisla is played by Tabitha Dummett. Suna is played by Sammy Sims. Enen is played by Satya Sakar, who also voiced the king. I, Clayton Hester, played Damiel. Josh Bernstein played Dragon 2 at Night 1. Rachel Grubbs played Dragon 3. And Anna Myers played Night 2. Episode 3 drops next week. Listen for the epic conclusion of Kiss of the Dragon's Curse. Until then, find Red Hawk Radio Theater on Patreon, where you can support the work that we do in bringing you stories that move and inspire you in the wonderful storytelling medium that is the audio drama. By becoming a patron, you can get exclusive content, such as the after show, with conversations between the writers, actors, and producers, producers and editors, that all bring the show to life. You can like us on Facebook, and you can give us feedback at Theater at gmail.com. That's R-E-D-H-A-W-K-R-A-D-I-O-T-H-E-A-T-E-R at gmail.com. Students with interests in writing and acting can reach out to us there. We're always interested in hearing your ideas and listening to your pitches and auditions. And that's this week's show. Please check the show notes for links for both shows this week at sonicsociety.org. Be sure to send us an email if you're interested in transcontinental terror for October at mutualaudio at gmail.com. And be back here on The Society next week as we look at We're So Bad at Adventuring, Episode 1, and more of The Kiss of the Dragon's Curse. Until then, I'm Jack Ward. And I'm David Alt. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Bye. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt. 
with original music by Sharon B at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? Aw, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. (gasps) Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. That sounds great, Dad! Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. <laughs> there is Daddy-O! Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Roxbrocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour. And now there's... Yeah? Twisted Pulp Magazine! <laughs> What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices. That is what it is. Look. Whoa, Dad, this looks awesome. Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome. You definitely have that right, my good man. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Mary. My pleasure, Billy. And just between you and me, I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye. Dad? Uh, just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine, available in dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere, or at digitalvaudeville.com. That is D-I-G-I-T-A-L-V-A-U-D-E-V-I-L-L-E.com.